Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. That's part of the process of investing in a blind pool fund is you really need to vet your sponsor and make sure you understand who they are and trust that they're going to do what they say, which is the reason most syndicators, people starting out in the business, don't start out with a blind pool fund. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Ken Gee. Ken is joining us from Cleveland, Ohio. He is the founder of KRI Partners, which is a real estate syndication and private equity firm specializing in multifamily. They have completed 16 deals as GPs and have also started a fund. Ken, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure, Ken. Before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Well, our focus now is 100% multifamily. I started this company back in 1997. 
back when I was at Deloitte, I spent seven years in public accounting as a CPA with Deloitte, spent five years as a commercial lender with a local bank. And during that time, I bought my first apartment building in a suburb of Cleveland, area called Shaker Square near Shaker Heights. And then over the last 23 or so years, continued to buy and sell. So about 15 years ago, we left. Well, we're still in Cleveland, but we don't do anything in Cleveland anymore. Everything we do now is in the growth states right now, central and northern Florida is where our focus is. How long did you work for Deloitte while you were doing real estate? Yeah, that's a good question. It was probably three or four years, maybe something like that. So that's some long days. It was. It's interesting that you say that because I had to make sure that the property that I bought was big enough that allowed me to have someone on site. It was a whopping 28 units, right? But I could pay a part-time woman to live there. I gave her a unit for free and she did a lot of the leasing and met the vendors and things like that. So yeah, it was tough. We did all the bookkeeping, of course, ourselves, but yeah, it really drove the bus in terms of what type of property we bought. It's probably the reason we didn't start out like a lot of people do with singles and doubles. Ken, when you say we, who purchased that first property? Was it just you or did you assemble a group of investors or partners? No, it was me and my (laughs) in-laws. So I borrowed, and I wouldn't advise everybody to do this, but I borrowed our half of the down payment on my home equity line. My in-laws put in the other half and we bought the property. They trusted me, right? It's your family, right? It's the easiest way to get people to trust you. So we worked for three years. We each put in 35,000 on that first deal. We each got back a hundred three years later. So that's how we did it. It wasn't until, oh, geez, probably 2004 or five, something like that, before we started inviting other people into our deals. Because I don't like learning on someone else's dime. I don't think that's fair. So I wanted to learn as much as I could on my own dime, make my own mistakes. We're still learning. Don't think that we aren't learning even today. But it was important to me that we had get our feet wet and really kind of figure out what's going on and show some success before we went out and invited other people into our deals. Can you give us the progression between when you started on that first deal and when you took on other people? How many deals were there? Probably seven or eight, maybe. I'd have to look to be sure, but it's somewhere in that range, probably six, seven, eight. They were all in Cleveland. Were you just recycling your own money for that? Yeah. And then in terms of scaling your company, what was your first hire? What was my first hire? Oh, a bookkeeper. Somebody to work in the office to help me out. What was your next hire? I got to back up. My first hire was that property manager lady that helped me on my very first deal. So yeah, let me correct that. She was the first person. The second person was probably a maintenance person. Third person was probably a maintenance person. Then I probably, after I left Deloitte, then I hired somebody to work in the office with me in the back office. And then I couldn't tell you what was next after that. So as you're scaling the company, have you taken on partners or is this wholly owned by you? The company is wholly owned by me. There's always been other partners in my early deals. Other than the ones I deal with my family, I also did some deals with a local attorney who's now retired. He was kind enough to trust me and had faith in me early on. So we did a number of deals together. So that's kind of how that progressed. Got it. And Ken, now you're starting a fund there seems to be a lot of interest in people wanting to start funds. Why did you make that decision? Good question. So the first fund is behind us. It's done, raised, closed. It was about $13 million. And the reason we did that, we're buying primarily in central and northern Florida. Super competitive market, as you can imagine. I'm sure you know that. People that we compete against for deals 
They're generally syndicators. So think about this. Mr. Seller, I want to buy your property. I'm a syndicator. I promise you I'll be able to raise the money to get the deal done. Then I come along, Mr. Seller, I have a fund. I've already raised the money. Consider my deal over the other guys. And guess what? Money in hand is usually going to get the deal. I call it syndicators put the deal ahead of the money. We put the money ahead of the deal to make us stronger buyers in the markets that we're in. And then the other thing that happened, a lot of other smaller things happened that I didn't necessarily understand up front. And that was that you were implicitly a more sophisticated buyer. Sellers recognize that and appreciate that. You're going to be more efficient because you have more experience, right? It's hard to raise a blind pool fund if you've never done this before. Most people won't give their money to those kind of folks in the business. And the last thing was the broker's took us far more seriously because they knew we had the money and they know that we're on a time frame to deploy the capital. So they were more incented to bring us deals because they knew that we would get them close. Can you walk us through starting a fund, getting capital from investors, really the whole process up until you're deploying it? Wow. Now let's just talk about the fund itself, right? With the experience is already behind us. So we've made the decision- uh, uh, Sorry, another way to phrase this question, sorry to cut you off, is Mm -hmm. if you take somebody who's syndicated deals, how does that person transition into starting a fund? Yeah, so I'll tell you how we did it. Everybody told me in the beginning that you have to be careful when you make that jump from a syndication to the fund concept. Your syndication investors will not follow you. And I thought, well, I don't want that because they've been with me for many, many years. I felt like I was deserting them. So the first thing I did was I made the terms of the fund look and feel very similar to that of a syndication. 80-20 split, a preferred return, you get all your money back before the split. See, it's felt very much like a syndication, acquisition fee, disposition fee. Typically, funds have commitment fees. Just didn't make sense to me that you should pay me a fee because you committed to invest in my fund, right? I just mentally had a problem with that. I'm like, I haven't done anything for you yet. Why do you owe me a fee? So, because first-time funds are very hard to do, at least I'm told. And it is tough. A lot of people won't even talk to first-time fundraisers. I wanted to make it very easy for people to transition and follow us because they've been following us for many, many years successfully, and I didn't want to make it hard for them. So that's how we set our terms. Then, we, of course, you go to the attorneys and tell them what you want to do, and, and then you go through the whole process of creating the documents. That's never any fun. You want to make sure that you understand the SEC rules because you don't want to get in trouble with those. Our fund is for accredited investors only on purpose because of lots of strategic reasons that we did that. And then we went and personally, I wasn't used to raising money outside my circle of influence, right? I just wasn't. So it was probably right during the pandemic or early on. Three years ago, I always tell people you would never catch me on a Zoom call like this. You just wouldn't, right? I just wasn't comfortable doing it. So I pushed myself out of my comfort zone to get into digital marketing, online marketing. I did some presentations at the Money Show in Orlando, was once even a featured speaker there. And what I learned was, you know what, this is actually fun to share what I've been doing for 23 years with other people and help them understand why I'm so passionate about what we do. So that whole fundraising process really became a process where I was telling our story, right? And people understand why we do what we do. And then they make the decision to take the journey with us. Does that help us? Very helpful. What percentage of your syndication investors followed you to the fund? Oh, geez, probably 90%. 
So you proved your friend wrong. I love doing that. Yes. When I went into public accounting, they said, Ken, don't do it. You're going to be too old to get into public accounting. Then they said, don't go into the tax side because they only hire auditors. I proved them wrong. So I love it when people challenge me like that. Good for you. Ken, how early do you take investors capital for the fund versus the date that you deploy it on? That's a good question. So in the fund, especially when you're paying a preferred return, if you call capital and put it in your bank account, you're going to owe a preferred return on that to your investors. That's a really expensive way when you're not doing anything with the money. So the we call starts. it as we need it. Pardon me? The clock, the clock starts when that wire hits. It does. So we call the capital. So in a fund, your investors are making commitments to you. They commit 100,000 was our minimum investment. They committed that they would give us 100 grand. And then once we had all our investors, they got some percentage of the total. Every time we called capital, that's the way they would send their funds. Now, in return, this is a really important concept with the fund that's different than a syndication. If an investor is going to make a commitment to us to commit a hundred grand, a half a million, a million, we have some pretty big investors. Well, they can't do anything else with that money. So now the responsibility becomes mine to deploy that capital very responsibly, but not take too long to deploy it because every minute it sits in that bank account, you know what it's earning, nothing. So the whole fund concept comes with some responsibilities that most people don't think of right away, right? So in our fund, how did I deal with that? I dealt with it by making a very short commitment period. So from the time our first deal closed, we have 18 months to deploy the rest of the capital. Most funds are three years, four years. And I just thought, good Lord, that just seems too long to me. I just didn't think it was fair to try to tie up someone's capital for that long, because once they sign that subscription agreement, they're obligated to send us the money when we call it. So these are just some ways that we try to deal with all the concerns that someone might have with investing in a fund and make sure that we're putting in our investors in the best place we can. You just mentioned that once they sign the subscription agreement, they're obligated to send the money when you call for it. How does that work? Do I commit that subscription agreement that I'm going to forward $100,000 and then do I just wait until you have the deal? Okay. So you're not sitting with idle capital in a bank account looking for a deal. I'm not, but they have the capital sitting idle somewhere. Right. And you're not paying the preferred return until the wire hits. Correct. You couldn't afford to do that. There's just no way. Right. On our first fund, our preferred return was 7%. (laughs) find an idle investment that pays 7%. What are your typical returns now on this fund? We haven't turned any deals yet in this particular fund. We closed our first deal the end of October of 21. We're about to go under contract for our second deal. I don't know when this will actually air, but probably by the time it does, it'll be closed. And we're working on our third and final deal for this fund. And then we're going to start fundraising for our next fund. So does that make sense? It does. And from your investor's perspective, do you tell them that you're going to put four properties into this fund or is it a time period that you'll hold it open or is it a certain raise? Yeah, it could be any combination of the above. So what's important is when you have conversations with investors, it's really important to me. Everyone has to talk to me before they can invest. And it's important to me that I understand what they're trying to achieve with their first personal financial objectives and things like that. So in this fund, it was always my goal to close it between 10 and $15 million to be able to deploy it into two or three assets. And I committed that it would be somewhere in central and northern Florida. Those are some of the parameters that I set for the fund. So we'll probably get to the third. 
we closed it at 13, it was actually 12 and a half. I'm just rounding. It was 12 and a half million dollars. So you don't know exactly where each deal is going to be until you find it. So some people will go out and buy a bunch of deals and then go form a fund and put those deals inside the fund. I was concerned about doing that because if you think about it, if I go out and buy the deals, then I sell it to the fund. I run the risk that somebody might be concerned that I'm marking those assets up and making a profit on them personally, even before they get in the fund. See, I try to eliminate when I do this, every possibility that we're all in this together, right? We're all going to make this investment together. So we go out in the market, buy the deal. I don't know if it's going to need 4 million, 6 million, 3 million. So it's going to depend. And that's part of the process of investing in a blind pool fund is you really need to vet your sponsor and make sure you understand who they are and trust that they're going to do what they say, which is the reason most syndicators, people starting out in this business, don't start out with a blind pool fund because there's so many variables that people don't have any way to say, okay, what types of deals this can do? What can I expect? So when we underwrite our deals, you asked about returns. We underwrite to an annual of 15%. That's our goal, returns to the investors. And most of we're able to beat that. We closed a, a few syndications prior to this. One closed at 22% annual return to the investors. Another one was at 38% annual returns to investors. So it depends on the deal and exactly what's happening, but we're targeting a minimum of 15. And as you know, with any investment, there's no guarantee we're going to hit that. I'm always going to try to beat it, but that's what we do our underwriting. That's what we shoot for. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. What's holding you back from getting into apartment building deals? Is it knowledge, fear, inability to take action, lack of support? If it's any of these things, then I suggest you consider Deal Maker Mentoring with Michael Blanc. Michael's program is the most effective program to help you syndicate your first apartment building deal. During Deal Maker Mentoring, you'll work directly with one of Michael's experienced mentors who have successfully replaced their income with apartment buildings. They've already done what you want to do, which is become financially free. So in addition to providing their own syndication experience, They've been trained in Michael's unique deal maker blueprint designed to help you do your first deal and become financially free just like them in the next one to three years. To find out more, text the word Joe to 66866. I know Michael's going to get you to where you'd like to be. Again, text the word Joe to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. So you're a guy from Cleveland and now you're buying properties in growth states in the South. How do you find deals? (laughs) Well, interestingly, we're vertically integrated. And by that means we manage our own properties. We also do third-party management. 
So we've been in Florida for 10 or 15 years, but in May of 18, we made the strategic decision to open our doors for third-party management. We'd already managed a ton of properties before. We recruited a senior management team. So our senior management team's managed over 16,000 units. So we've tons of experience. We went out and not only managing our own assets in the various markets in central and northern Florida, but we managed it for others. So what happens is when you help a broker not sell a deal, but when a broker refers his or her client to you and you manage the deal, they want it to be successful so they can get it back and sell it for that person for a lot of money, right? That's the whole plan. Well, we became a trusted management referral for them. So when you're standing next to someone in a transaction, instead of using adversarial position, like you usually are with a broker, you develop a really different relationship with those brokers, right? You just do because you're helping them do their job. They'll call us for underwriting advice from time to time. What should payroll be? What should this be? What should that be? And so we developed that different relationship. So we are so very, very networked throughout the market that we're in. And that's how you get the deals, quite honestly. They have to know you'll perform and you have to get to know them so that you're on their radar so that they'll actually give you a shot at these deals. So it's all about networking and getting to know people and really getting to the point where you develop a very trusting relationship with them because their goal is to close a deal without being retraded, without their seller getting mad at them. Think about all those things that are important to a seller and we deliver that every time and we help them deliver that when they refer us their client on deals that we don't do. Ken, you mentioned earlier, you never wanted to go outside of your circle to raise capital. What advice would you give that individual that has had a good run with friends and family but now is in a position where they need to go outside of their circle. Let me just correct the statement a little bit. It's never that I didn't want to. I never understood what it meant to do that. Until you do it, you don't really understand. So what I tell people that are trying to make that jump, this is important to me and I get really passionate about this topic, and that is make sure you know what you're doing before you ask someone else for money that you don't know. If you lose your own money or maybe even your family's money, they're family, right? (laughs) They can't get away from you. But when you're dealing with someone else's money, I will tell you that the burden, the responsibility that I feel for someone else's money is many multiple times how I feel about my own money. If I lose my own money, okay, that's fine. I'll make it back or whatever. If I were to lose someone else's money, that would be terrible. So the number one thing I want to see people do is make sure they know what they're doing. Because when you're sitting in front of an investor on a Zoom call very similar to this, they're going to ask you tough questions. And you need to understand your business well enough to be able to answer any question about anything at any time. And if you're not in that position, then you probably shouldn't be going out getting money that isn't yours. What is the best tactic that you would recommend somebody use to attract investor capital in terms of marketing? How do you In terms of marketing? Wow. Our capital comes in from so many different sources. Some of it's referrals. Some of it is just pure digital online marketing. Some of it is doing podcasts like this. People get to know who you are. What people want to do is they want to know and understand who you are. And they're trying to figure out, are you someone that they can trust? That's the number one thing. Somehow you have to get in front of them and show them that you really know what you're doing and you really are going to put their interests first because so many people in this business don't do that. I'm sure you know that. And it's tough. That's what they're trying to figure out. So however you can get in front of them and show them 
that you're the real deal, that you're going to have their back no matter what, right? If it means you need to cut your fee in order to get them the return that you promised them, then they need to feel like you're going to do things like that for them. So again, our sources of our investors online, we got a lot from the money show. Just get outside your comfort zone and figure out how to reach new people. Veravest is another one. We're on Veravest. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. We love this site. Transparency is really important to me. So if you go to veravest.com, you'll see us. They vetted our entire 23 years of track record. I had to send them tax returns and bank statements and settlement statements for every deal that we've ever done. So it's important to me that you can now go to our Veravest page and you can see that they've ticked and tied. All the numbers are real. I proved it to them. And they went online, did some search to try to find deals that some sponsors might hide. They also did a full background check on me, things like that. So it's places like that that people go because they're trying to find good, trustworthy people to give their money to. And when you're fully transparent and you've had someone look under the hood to the tune of vetting every single one of your deals, right? That makes people feel better about who you are and what you're doing. Ken, what's the hardest lesson you've learned in real estate? What's the hardest lesson I've learned? A tough lesson, one that hurt. One that hurt. I'm sure I've learned a lot of lessons, but Probably the number one thing that I always want to see people do. I see people when they get a deal and they close it, they're full speed ahead with their renovation. They cannot wait to get it done. And a long time ago, I was the same way. And I spent all my rental money. And then I learned something about the property that I wish I would have known 60 days prior because I wouldn't have spent all my money the way I did, right? So I don't even remember what it was now. It was a long time ago. But the lesson that it taught me was when you close, just sit on your hands for a minute. The world's not going to go away in 30 or 60 days. Just sit on your hands. You know the seller didn't tell you everything. You know the seller. There's probably things going on at the property the seller didn't even know, right? Gives you time to get to know the property, find out where the skeletons are, so that if you need to reallocate your improvement money, that you do it in a smart way. So that's probably the toughest lesson I learned because I went into my own pocket. I did what I had to do, right? You're going to go into your own pocket, fix whatever it is that needed to be fixed. And that hurt. I wasn't prepared for that. But now I preach that lesson all the time. Hopefully it's helped some people. I know it's helped us a lot in our renovations. Ken, what is your overall best real estate investing advice ever? Do the work. (laughs) I talk to people every single day that want to get in this business. And It seems really easy. Real estate seems like it's easy. How hard could it be? You buy a property, you rent it out to people, you have extra money, you put it in your pocket, it's done, right? But these apartment buildings, especially the larger they get, they're businesses. So you've got to understand what the numbers are really going to look like. You've got to understand what's going to happen in the neighborhood. You've got to understand why do people want to live in your property versus the guy next door. You've got to understand all this stuff. So it's just human nature to to take the fastest route from point A to point B. And I would submit to you that if you slow down and do the work and play the long game in this business, that's how you're going to be successful. So that's the number one thing I like to see people do is just do the work, just do full underwriting, do all this work at least two or three times till you understand before you start using general terms to analyze real estate deals. Because I think it'll serve you really, really well. Ken, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? (laughs) Sure. All right, Ken, what's the best ever book you recently read? Grant Cardone's 10X. What was your big takeaway from that? I'm going to use my term. If you think you can kill an ant with your finger, use a sledgehammer. Because then you know you're going to get it done. 
because we're trying to be really successful in everything that we do in life. And if you give it just enough effort to hopefully get there, well, there's a really good chance you're going to fall short. If you give it so much effort that you're giving it 10 times the effort that is probably necessary, you know you're going to get there. That's Ken, my what, takeaway from that book. Thank you. Ken, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Teaching people and helping them learn. When I started out, I started out so long ago, the only guy out there to help me was a guy named Carlton Sheets. If you know the name, yeah. most people probably don't, but that just showed you when I learned. That was the only thing out there. So learn from Joe and from podcasts like this. Learn as much as you can. I love to give back through this process because then when people learn what I've learned, they're going to be incredibly successful in their investing future. And there's no better feeling than that than to know that you actually help somebody else get to where they want to go. That makes me feel good. And Ken, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Sure, KRIpartners.com. And if you add the slash ebook, you can get my free ebook, Multifamily Real Estate's a Total Game Changer. I wrote the book. It just covers two topics. Number one, everybody knows you can make a ton of money in real estate. You just have to figure out how it's going to fit in your life. And if you think about that, that's a big issue for a lot of people. Should they be a passive investor? Should they buy a duplex? Should they buy an apartment building? What should they do? How do they fit it into their life? And then secondly, because I believe most people should probably be passive investors, how do you vet sponsors? You can already tell from what I've talked about. I'm passionate about transparency and vetting sponsors and things like that. I want to help people vet sponsors properly so that they put their money with the right people. So KRIpartners.com slash ebook. Ken, thank you again for sharing your story with us today. All the way back from 1997, working at Deloitte, being a lender, getting into multifamily and now starting a fund. Thank you for all of your advice today. Thanks so much for having me. It was our pleasure. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.